What's up, everyone? I'm Andrew Steinwald, and this is Zima Red. On this show, we speak with the users, founders, and creatives that are diving into the world of unique digital assets, also called non-fungible tokens. My guest today is AG. AG is a full-time DAO member at the Index Co-op. The Index Co-op is a decentralized autonomous asset manager. Anyone who has listened to my previous episode with Dark Forest will know the power of Index Co-op. But by speaking with AG, it opened up even more doors on what is possible with DAOs. And after hearing from both Dark Forest and AG, I'm even more convinced that DAOs will play a massive role in the future of work. I feel like AG was born for DAOs. Hearing his background from working and living in multiple countries, working in the finance industry, and diving deep into crypto, it seems like the stars have aligned with his current work with DAOs. If you want to learn about the future of online cooperation, coordination, and work, then you can't miss this episode. Please enjoy my conversation with AG. AG. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm super excited to chat with you. And to get us started, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background. Yeah, thanks, uh, Andrew. Great to great to be here, and thanks for having me on. So, with my background, I think it just depends how how far back we want to go. Um, it's generally, I think, fairly unconventional. Um, so I'll go a bit a bit far back because I think it it's representative of kind of my views and it, it helped shape shape some of those views so I was, I was originally born in ukraine actually and uh, i grew up there and i started off playing tennis as a kid and i sort of got really good and that's how i ended up in u.s actually um, studying so um, i got an athletic scholarship to go to the states um, i did my studies uh, undergrad and my master's in in the states and then sort of joined um the financial industry uh, after grad school and so I, I basically i spent about a decade or so working in asset management uh, portfolio management sort of looking at different types of funds um, and markets fixed income equity and and, and so on um, and then eventually i moved from kind of states to australia doing the same thing and and was in australia for about five five and a half years before sort of quitting quitting my job and and uh, pursuing a little bit more of an independent um career so to speak wow that that is that's amazing okay so okay so so you got into the u.s for a scholarship for tennis, and did you study finance uh, in in college, or what was it, what was kind of your interest back then? Yeah, so it's another interesting thing where um, I basically played like most of my time as as a teenager uh, was spent on on sports, and um, I did study, but I never really sort of paid much attention or or cared too much about um, about school, and like I never really figured out what it is that. I wanted like what was what were my interests um, academically speaking, and so when I realized that I actually like needed to pick a major for for uni, I actually just like handed application to my father who just selected basically what what I was going to study, and uh, he did pick like business in general. And once I got to the states, I started like. I started studying business, but then I sort of really got into finance, stocks, and and so on, and so that became like my my focus uh, in in undergrad as well as uh, during my master's. That's so cool. Okay, so what 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 was it that interested you in in kind of stocks and equities and, and kind of finance in general 
and also were you kind of more of the were you more interested in like trading like day to day or week to week or were you more interested in, in kind of longer term investing yeah it was it was investing really it was um analyzing companies right it was just i i really enjoyed um watching cnbc as as like an 18 19 year old and just listening about like what's happening with the economy what's happening like with this company and um and then just having the ability to like literally dig in and like do your research and understand like what makes a company tick and what makes it profitable um and then with the stocks right like you basically have an opportunity to um express that that view that you have on the company and and i think not to sort of go um get too far ahead but that's what's fascinating about crypto is that a lot of things become financialized right it's not a stock it's not just a company that can be financialized and you can express a view on it anymore it's everything basically can be financialized um yeah so that 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 would that's what um was interesting to me was more long-term investing analyzing companies and for um for a long long time all i wanted to be is like a, a research analyst basically um at an asset manager analyzing stocks that's incredible okay so you said you spent like a decade in portfolio management in the states how did you end up doing that and also what was your what was your day to day like? Were, were you, you know, did you have a team and you were kind of, you know, researching and investing and, and yeah, I just love to hear like how you got into that and, and what was your day to day? Um, so, okay, so uh, I I finished school in like 2010 and uh, it was relatively challenging to find a job in finance because like, it was pretty pretty close to the financial crisis and as a kind of foreign person in the u.s you're like you need to get sponsored for for like a work visa and it was pretty hard to do so really like it was more like what is what can i get like what type of job can i get whoever hires me is fine i'm gonna take that job right so it wasn't really much much of a choice at the time like it doesn't really matter like what your background is or what your grades are um at the time, it was just uh, relatively challenging. And so I ended up in a role that was more like, it's called like investment specialist. Um, and your role is basically to understand these investment products and help portfolio managers as much as possible in terms of strategy, pitch books, sales, um, education, commentary, and, and, and so on. So, and basically like I've sort of stayed in that role right so it was like under the portfolio management team and interacting with portfolio managers and traders on a daily basis to help them manage and, and grow um, these products um, yeah so I did I think three or four years in the states and then another five years or so in in Australia um, doing that covering like different asset classes um, I think when I was in the US I focused more on uh, fixed income emerging market debt uh, corporate debt, uh, things things of that sort, and then in the in Australia it was more around uh, equities, Australian equities uh, specifically. So yeah, why I feel like Sydney for whatever reason is kind of like a kind of like a hub of of just financial activity. Why is that, and why did you decide to move from the states to Sydney? 
Um, so my decision was not around Sydney specifically. Um, I was I was basically pretty tired of being in the U.S. Um, specifically, like around immigration, um, U.S. immigration policy, even even back then in 2015, right before Trump was uh, really quite challenging. With Trump, it got uh, much worse, but it was just really hard to sort of stay in the country and have flexibility. Like I always refer to U.S. immigration policy as like modern day slavery, um, just because like your sort of work visa right is controlled by your employer. So you are not actually able to like just quit your job and like look for another work or like move to a different state. Basically, if you quit your job, you have to leave the country within like a week. Um, so you have like very few um, options. And so for me, after after several years, um, it, like it became a problem. And I started looking at like what are the opportunities, where can I go, where where it's uh, it's more flexible, it's more relaxed, um, and it's really looking at like Canada and uh, Australia. And we had some friends who were sort of in the process of moving to Australia at the time, so that's how that's how I sort of ended up with Australia as as my option, as like my number one option. And then Australia was immigration, like they have. Uh, what they call like skilled migration, right? So, and and they have it on like a federal level as well as the state level. So you can have like certain skills that the Commonwealth requires, right? And so those would be subject to like federal um, visas. And then you have um, for each state, they have their own list of skills that they need. And so then for me, it was all like about, okay, what skills do I have and which state like needs those skills and uh, yeah basically ended up with New South Wales and, and Sydney specifically and I think like the financial markets in Australia are generally fairly uh, well developed and it's more like the center for Asia Southeast Asia trading um, a lot of that has like migrated to um, to different parts of Asia over the last decade or so, but yeah, it's still still pretty big in in Australia. Okay, so so at what point were you thinking? Okay, I'm 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 kind of over traditional finance. Uh, crypto is so interesting. I have I have to jump in, um, and also like tell me about that journey because because you must have been you must have had some or probably a lot of previous crypto ex- experience and knowledge before being like, hey, I'm quitting my job and moving moving into crypto full time. Yeah. Uh... So those are like two different answers. I think one is I knew that I didn't want to do traditional finance probably after my first year, um, maybe after first year, year and a half of my first job out of college. And uh, it was basically like around um, lack of innovation in the industry, the hierarchy, lack of like efficiency, uh, politics, and then like non-alignment of incentives where like you're basically not incentivized to be good right like you're not incentivized to be an awesome worker uh so your opportunity to um like your compensation is not really tied to um how well you perform and and it also like it's also less relevant to your progression right within the hierarchy 
beyond a certain point. So like, basically, I think your progression through the first like couple of stages of corporate hierarchy is basically pretty set, right? It's more like you just need to be average at your job and you need to stay there for um, for a given amount of time, and then you get through the first like two stages, two hoops. Um, and after that, it's not really as much about your work, it's more about your um, political skills, right? And so the combination of all of those things, like I sort of figured, figured them out at different stages during the first year and a half, and it just, uh, yeah, it, uh, at that point, it was like, okay, it, this doesn't make any sense, and it's a waste of my time. Uh, but it did take me like quite a long time to figure out like what is the backup, right? And like how how am I going to set myself up to be able to sort of take a leap of faith, right? And like go into sort of a different area or do my own thing. And it's really the way I always think about it is more like everyone needs a safety net to to take a risk right and if you want to like if you want to move forward in life if you want to progress you need to be taking risks but it's really hard to take risks if you have no safety net right and for a lot of people like safety net is like means different things and it can be financial it can be like uh for me a lot of it was like i wanted a citizenship that was different than ukraine because like i didn't want to go back to ukraine um and so it it took it took a while for me to basically like build that safety net um and then with like crypto um yeah like many people i got in 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 2017 and i was like playing around with it and i was like trying to do arbitrage between the geographies because australian prices were much higher than us and and you but when i got in it was more around like the price right like i didn't have a a really good understanding of kind of the big picture and there was also not much you could do in crypto in 2017 like DAOs weren't around there were a few projects where you can contribute so um and then when everything crashed i sort of yeah like i forgot about it i didn't sell my stuff but i was just like yeah okay went back to uh, my regular job and then like once my safety net was basically done. I was like, okay, I know I'll be able to quit my job at that particular time, right? Um, And so in the beginning of 2020, I started looking at crypto again. And when we went into like work from home um, environment, I had a little bit more time. So I started picking up some some gigs on like um, Upwork, you know, um, on one of those freelancer platforms to just do writing um covering crypto and there's some generic um articles and so i started writing and then i started to sort of try to get a little bit more involved um through DeFi summer and experimenting with DeFi, and so on and so forth and so then by the time i quit my job i was like i didn't have like a very strong okay i'm gonna go into crypto full time it was more like okay now i have this time I'm going to keep exploring crypto and I'm going to keep thinking about like other things that, that I can do. Um, and then slowly sort of transition to, yeah, I'm focusing on crypto hundred percent crypto is the future sort of thing. Okay. That, that's super interesting. Cause I feel like a lot of people I, I speak with, they, 
they come to some sort of realization that, oh my gosh, like crypto is the future. It's going to be amazing, blah, blah, blah. But it's, it's, it's kind of sudden. But you're saying that your journey was actually more of a, um, a more of a methodical one where you're doing research, you're, you're learning more. And then over time, it clicked, clicked in your brain that, okay, this is going to be massive. So what was the initial attraction to crypto? Because I mean, compared to the finance, like crypto is a wild west. So that, that's number one. And then also, yeah, like w- w- when in your mind do you think that it clicked and, and why that you're like, okay, because of these reasons, now I understand it's going to be large. I think like, um, I would say that like with DeFi and once you start using DeFi and you see what's possible, um, as, as a finance person, like you really sort of understand the, the big picture a little bit better, right? And, and you start looking at crypto through like the lens of, of DeFi, right? And then once you start exploring a little bit further into like NFTs and metaverse and, and you start seeing like how crypto is not just financial services, it's, it's much bigger than that. Um, but the moment like when it clicked for me, it wasn't that it clicked in terms of like, oh my God, this is going to be huge. It clicked that I can actually make a living working in crypto. Right. And it was like a gradual process of, yeah, picking up freelance gigs, um, doing writing, then starting to do um, writing specifically for crypto projects, and then sort of getting into discords and forums and starting to figure out that you can actually get paid doing work for, for DAOs and, and for crypto projects. So, like, when that clicked, I was like, okay, I know crypto is going to be big, but I can also make a living working in crypto. And so that's when sort of that transition for me happened where I went like full time, um, don't want to think about anything else. That's awesome. Okay. So, so how do you think that your background in the traditional financial industry impacts your views on crypto today? Because I came from just a fully crypto native background. I had no experience in the traditional financial markets. And so I feel like in some sense, in some sense that's good, but in other sense that that's bad. Like I, my, my, my expectations are, are often not that realistic. So, so in, in your opinion, how does your background impact your views on crypto today? I think it's, uh, I, I guess it's probably easier for me to understand some of the financial products and, and, how, and how they work. But then also, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I think having like worked in, in traditional finance, right? Like you realize how inefficient things are and how slow innovation is, right? And so then when you see, okay, like I can do a similar product without too much friction, without intermediaries in, in crypto, right? You're like, okay, like it just makes so much sense. Right. And because there is no barriers to innovation in in DeFi, um, I think the scope of what's possible when it comes to financial products is like expands significantly, right? Um, and then obviously we're going to run into regulation and and so on and so forth. But when you remove barriers to innovation, um, I think the like it opens up uh, a much bigger range of possibilities. And so I think that 
was my background, it's basically that's what it enabled me to see, right? It, it enabled me to see that kind of this innovation um, has a very high chance to kind of take away from the traditional finance, uh, just because traditional finance is cumbersome and it's it doesn't innovate too well. Um, and then also that it's like any crazy idea that you have in, in TradFi, right? That you're like, oh my God, it would be so cool to build. You can actually build it in, in DeFi. Or if you cannot build it now, you will be able to build it in six to 12 months just because the system is growing exponentially. Um, and in general, I think it's just anything in, in traditional finance can be can be replicated in in DeFi. Um, there's like there's no there's no moat. Like there is nothing that um, we we can see in TradFi and be like, oh no, like I can't do it in DeFi. It just there's nothing. And and so that's just extremely, um, yeah, like extremely fascinating and encouraging. And and I think that that's something that sort of feeds the, the DeFi narrative um, at like a higher level. All right. So here's a really kind of broad question and it's, it's going to be hard to answer, but what do you think crypto does better than traditional finance? And then also what do you think crypto does much worse than traditional finance? Yeah, I think like in terms of what crypto does better, it's it's really like, removing the barriers, right? And so taking out intermediaries, um, making finance open and available to sort of everyone with, with, a, with an internet connection. Um, it's sort of leveling the playing field, transparency, lack of like inability of crypto to discriminate. Um, I guess you can still discriminate in, in crypto, but it would have to be in the code and anyone can audit the code and see if it's um, if it's set up to discriminate against certain groups. So I think it basically like does most things better than, than TradFi. I, I think the areas where we do need to improve is like user experience and user interfaces and kind of developing um, apps like mobile phone apps and, and just making it more kind of accessible and easier to understand. I think, I think that's sort of... Uh, uh, an Achilles heel right now of, of crypto. It's just, it's, uh, it's, it's hard. Like it's, it's hard to sort of use it, right? It's not, it's not really straightforward. Um, but I'm, I'm sort of confident that, you know, we're going to address that and it's not really a, a structural issue. Uh, it's just something that we need to put a little bit of time and effort into and, uh, we're going to get there. All right, and then you also briefly mentioned working for DAOs. You said like that was a huge kind of change comparative to traditional finance. So like, what has it been like for you working for DAOs? I think, yeah, it's a it's a tough question just because it's it requires like a completely different mindset in terms of how you think about about work right um and so it's uh like challenging to aggregate all of your thoughts into this coherent narrative um i think yeah i i think some of the most important things around 
working for a DAO is that usually there is no hierarchy, right? And so anyone has sort of the ability to walk in and start contributing, but like your contribution is going to be judged on merit, right? And also no one is really going to tell you like, you need to do this, you need to do that. Um, so it's really like you need to have initiative and you need to do impactful work, right? You need to do work that adds value to the DAO. Um, I, I find that like, and, and that, that particular barrier, right? Like doing work that's impactful for a DAO, that barrier is getting higher just because like DeFi or crypto, like DAOs in general, the the space is getting more and more history, right? Like the space is getting older. So you need more and more and more context. Um, so that's like, it's it's more challenging now than it was six, eight months ago when we've literally had like DAOs for three or four months in terms of actual DAOs where you can contribute. Um, but still, I think it's uh, working for a DAO is like an amazing opportunity and, and something that um, I think we've been talking um, at Index for, for a long time is like there are so many DAOs popping up and every DAO needs people, right? Like uh, a lot of times you'll have DAOs, like you'll have a project that launches with a group of uh, mostly core developers, right? And so they develop a product. Um, but you need people to do everything else, right? You need people to do marketing, you need people to do sales, you need people to do like DeFi relationships and partnerships and things like that. And usually the, the founding team doesn't have those core specialties. Like usually the, the founding team is developers. And so like the combination of so many new projects, so many new DAOs and lack of a lot of these skills in the core teams basically opens up this whole uh, range of possibilities for people to come and contribute across sort of different projects. Okay, so so yeah, you mentioned index. Could you describe to me like what in what is index co-op? Uh, yeah, in, in simple terms, uh, index co-op is like a BlackRock or Vanguard of DeFi, right? We try to make kind of index products that make investing in crypto really easy for uh, those who don't have like time to sort of really dig into um, the space who just want like simple exposure. Awesome. Okay. So, so, and are you working, I mean, I guess we're, yeah, I don't know what, what the exact terminology is, but are you full, a full-time DAO member within the index co-op or are you also involved in other DAOs? And then how, how do you manage your, your time if that's the case? Uh, yeah. So, I'm full-time at Index Corp. Uh, we basically started bringing in uh, full-time people in at the end of March, early April. as like our first sort of hiring process as a DAO where we brought on four, um, four contributors, including myself. Um, and we also recently added 
a fifth one and 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 have a couple of open open roles. Um, I think before that, like, um, I was still spending most of my time on on index, just because, like, I think um, it's really interesting with DAOs, right? Because every DAO has sort of a culture, and it like there needs to be this fit of your skills fit to a given DAO, and also your personality and your way of work fits to the culture of a DAO. And then when those two things align, like things kind of click and it, and it like it, it really works for, for like both parties. And um, yeah, so for me, like with Index, it just really clicked um, and it just made a lot of sense to sort of spend majority of my time on Index even before uh, we were sort of brought on full time. Oh, okay, so, so why... Why is it that um, I guess these products that Index are, are building now or have built um, and continuing to build, why are they uh, great for the crypto ecosystem as a whole? You, you mentioned that, that they're these kind of you know, Index products where people can get broad exposure to different crypto uh, sectors. But so, so why, why is that needed comparative to people just jumping in to specific tokens and uh, kind of getting exposure there? Yeah, um, so we have two types of products um, at the moment. Well, actually, I'm going to say three. Um, but two main ones, right, are the sectoral products where uh, if you buy like DPI, the DeFi Pulse Index, right, you have exposure to the DeFi theme. Uh, and with the Metaverse Index, you have exposure to the Metaverse. And then we also have leverage uh, indices where you buy one token and you have like um, 2x exposure to ETH or uh, BTC, depending on the token you buy. Um, so for leverage products, right? Like what, um, what, like what's good about them? I guess um, is that they're non-custodial, right? You can go and get leverage on the centralized exchange, but um, you don't have custody. With with our leverage products, right? They're on-chain. They're non-custodial. Like you have custody of of your assets. They're on-chain, transparent. You can see the actual leverage, and and so on and so forth. So, and people don't need to actually manage their collateral, right? So you can replicate this exposure by um, doing it your, yourself, right? You can go, you can deposit ETH into Compound, you can draw out USDC as a loan and buy more ETH until you get two X leverage. Um, so. But with our products, you actually don't need to manually do that. You just buy one token and it's all done in, in the background. Um, so that sort of simplifies um, the process for those who, who want sort of leverage exposure. And for sectoral products, it's really around people not, like a lot of people don't have the time to to research individual tokens, right? They they hear DeFi, they know that like maybe they have this understanding that like decentralizing finance is going to be huge and they just want exposure right and and so if you think about how much time is needed to sort of dig into individual projects and, and try to understand them understand tokenomics whatever to make an educated decision wh whether you should invest like it's a significant amount of time a lot of people don't have that right um and the same with sort of uh the metaverse which i would argue is even is even harder just the the, the space is uh we are much earlier in the development than we are with with DeFi, so there's way more risk and and so um 
And if you want to, like, if you want exposure to DeFi and Metaverse, right? Like, uh, like the amount of time you need to research is is just almost infinite. And uh, like, our products basically provide anyone like this option of I just buy one token and that's it. And and I have I have exposure. I don't need to think about like what is the next token that's going to be big, right? Like, or which one should be like i should drop out of my portfolio it limits like the fomo like if i see axs token go up 10 times right and i have three other metaverse tokens in my portfolio but i don't have access you have fomo you're like should i buy um with indices it's uh eliminates some of those emotional um decisions that might not be good for you in the long term um and sort of enables people to just relax and have thematic exposure and, and sort of forget about it. Right, could you briefly describe each one of the index products that, that you that you guys offer? Uh, yeah, so the DeFi Pulse Index DPI is, is our first product, our flagship product, um, and basically uh, provides um, exposure to uh, DeFi sector. Uh, I think it has uh, close to, I want to say 14, 15 tokens now uh, with kind of you know, all of your traditional blue chips, um, Uniswap, Aave, Compound, Maker, Yearn, and, and so on and so forth um, as sort of the the main positions. The um, Metaverse Index is um, an equivalent of uh, DPI, uh, but for Metaverse, Metaverse is like a very big, all-encompassing term, and everyone thinks different about what Metaverse actually is. Uh, for the from the perspective of the index, basically, we try to put together an index that expresses the theme of sort of different parts of our life, from work to entertainment and education, moving into sort of the digital um, environment, right? So it's not just virtual worlds, it's not just NFTs, it's it's a bit of a bigger sort of uh, theme. Um, we have the leverage ETH token and leverage BTC tokens. Um, and then we also recently launched uh, the BED index in partnership with Bankless, uh, which basically is uh, one-third ETH, one-third BTC, and one-third uh, DPI, sort of like a meta index in a way. And, you know, it gives people sort of exposure across ESBDC and DeFi with uh, with one token with a pretty low uh, sort of fee um, for those who just kind of maybe just enter in the space and, and want a very broad generic exposure to sort of everything or almost everything in, in crypto. All right. So I, I want to talk pros and cons because I feel like the, the pros of these products is pretty apparent. It's like, unbelievably easy to get a broad exposure to these to these kind of sectors but what are what are the weaknesses what, what are the cons of these types of products um yeah with with sectoral indices right um the the cons or like the, the conversation about pros and cons uh, when you think about these sort of products in in tradfi right like um, the argument for passive investing in general is that very few managers are able to beat the index, right? Like um, very few U.S. equity managers, for example, beat S&P 500, um, and and so, you know, there is 
there's no need for you to go and try to pick individual stocks where you can just buy like an S&P 500. And so in crypto, it's a little bit different, right? Because we're still so early, they, like there is information asymmetry. There is an opportunity to make outsized returns by actually doing research, right? Um, so that's like passive versus active in crypto is a different conversation. And so I would say that one of the um, cons for investing in like DPI or MVI is that you basically sort of forfeit this opportunity to go and pick tokens and, and generate those like outsized returns. Um, I would say that it's still a pretty common strategy, even in traditional finance, um, in, in what's known as core satellite strategy, right? Where you get your core exposures through passive vehicles, and then you still go out and you get active exposures, um, which are called satellite exposure, right? So, for example, I can have my core exposure to the metaverse with the metaverse index, um, but I can still go and make satellite bats into individual tokens. So, can the, the, like that particular con can be um, can be mitigate, mit, mitigated. Um, and then I think with leverage tokens, like the 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 potential risks, right, is that um, there is a liquidation, right? That um, kind of the product doesn't function as expected. Um, and it's basically up to us, right, Index Corp, to do thorough testing, to watch the product, to make sure that doesn't happen. Um, but outside of that, it's just sort of simple leverage exposure, and, and there aren't kind of too many, um, yeah, too, too, too many negative uh, negatives there. So what are some other products that you guys are thinking about building in the future that are not related to these indexes? Uh, well, I think our business is indices, right? <laughs> so uh, I think so far there is like there's a massive opportunity uh, to launch more index products. And, and generally, uh, generally speaking, like when we think about index products, um, there's really two types, right? There's these uh, buy and hold passive investment um, indices, right? Like like DPI and, and MVI and um, we have a data index in, in the pipeline um, for sort of the, the data economy and, and a couple of other products. Um, and then there are more of these kind of, you can call them maybe crypto degen type of products, right? Like uh, leverage indices, maybe it's volatility products, maybe it's uh, short-term sentiment products, whether it's like social sentiment or on-chain sentiment. And so these are more for your crypto native traders, right? People who want to sort of make bets, maybe they want to make bets with leverage. Um, so generally that's how, that's the market, I guess, that we're looking at. And, and um, we are certainly working on launching more of sectoral indices, but also more of uh, these type of trading products, whether they're leverage indices or uh, volatility indices and, and so on. Maybe maybe long short, right? You can you could build a long E short BTC index for, for those of us who maybe believe that the flipping is gonna happen this cycle and, and so on. So the, the 
I'd say that there's a lot of opportunities and uh, we um, we kind of have a pretty lengthy pipeline of stuff we'd like to launch and it's just working through that. All right, let's pretend that you had like unlimited money, unlimited resources in terms of, you know, dev capacity and whatnot, and you were able to design your, you know, completely, your, completely your own vision crypto product. What would it be? So I, I, I don't think... Um... I don't think I think too much about like what type of product I want to build in crypto. Like I haven't had too much time to think deeply about it. It's more like been focused on sort of index as well as a bit more of a macro high level uh, thinking around uh, metaverse. I think like maybe this is not a product, maybe it's more a service. Um, I, I think one thing that we still not doing enough of is like education right it's just like onboarding people into crypto and helping them um figure out like how to work for a DAO, how to work in crypto like it's definitely an option right for people and um and we need to like do a better job to to sort of make sure that people know it's available and then help onboard them not just into like an an individual DAO, but into sort of the ecosystem as a whole. So maybe it's like a uh, a platform that that sort of enables that at at scale, right? Um, I think also like it's fascinating to me that with crypto, like the educational requirements are non-existent, right? Like it doesn't matter if you have a high school diploma, no diploma, university degree, PhD, whatever. Like I've seen people with across all of those levels in, in crypto. And and so um, that just, it's a massive like leveling the playing field and, and we need to do a better job of like actually making sure that like, people know about this opportunity and, and they know or they have a way to come in and sort of uh, progress through uh, the ecosystem and, and sort of end up working crypto full time. So I, I feel like a very big appeal to working for or for DAOs is that people can get compensated in a token. And really, it's just like about ownership. So it's like if you're putting in the work and creating a lot of value, then you should be fairly compensated. And so, uh, yeah, to tell me about like, is, is that the model that uh, Index Co-op is probably going to use going forward? Are you guys going to release some sort of token or do you guys already have a token? And then if you do, uh, what is that token used for? Yeah, so... Um... We do have a token, uh, it's index uh, token, and uh, we've had it since uh, October, uh, I want to say. Um, so generally, like, the way the way Index Corp is funded or, like, monetized in a way, right, is we have fees on, on our products, right? So we charge an ongoing sort of streaming fee for, for products, and then for leverage products, we also charge sort of mint and, and, and redeem fees. Um, and at the moment, all of those fees uh, accrue to the index co-op treasury. Um, and then obviously the community can choose how to spend uh, sort of those uh, resources. And the way those decisions have been made is through sort of snapshot voting, right, with the sort of index uh, token. Um, I think like we've been talking about, you know, whether we should distribute a portion of the fees to token holders, but I think 
um, the consensus is that it's it's incredibly early. Like we're a startup, we're nine months old, ten months old startup. Uh, it doesn't like you don't have um, tech startups who start distributing dividends after nine months. Like it just doesn't make sense. It makes sense to sort of reinvest in the business and and try to grow it. But in the future, you know, it uh, it's a pretty clear. Uh, value accrual mechanism if if the community decides to sort of turn it on at some point. Um, so yeah, like index token is basically used for um, voting at at the moment. It's a governance token. Uh, it governs the index called DAO, so you can vote on things like um, new products, right? Like which product should we launch? You can vote on uh, treasury, how how we're going to spend the treasury, um, and you can vote on like other um, initiatives around like uh, around organizational structures and governance and and so on and so forth and then also like um, we have what it's called like meta governance um, capability right which basically if you think about our indices whether it's DPI or MVI they hold a large number of underlying tokens and so index token holders can actually, vote on governance proposals of those underlying tokens, right? So as an example, um, maybe Uniswap has a governance proposal. There is a decent allocation to Uniswap uh, in DPI. So if you hold an index token, you can vote on that Uniswap governance proposal. And once index token holders sort of decide on how we're going to vote, all of the uni token that's held in DPI votes that particular way. Um, so that, that creates that sort of uh, governance arbitrage in a way, but uh, makes us like a very central player in both DeFi and sort of the metaverse ecosystem. Although at the moment we do not have uh, this meta governance capability switched on for any of the metaverse tokens. That's awesome. Okay. so. Tell me about Metaportal because you mentioned before that education and kind of just exposure to these crypto native ideas and crypto products is is kind of a, is something that we need to overcome. I think you're, you're doing an insane job with uh, Dark Forest on Metaportal, which is a right now it's a newsletter and podcast just kind of looking at uh, crypto and, and, and kind of the metaverse and stuff like that. So, yeah, just just like tell me what that is and what was your inspiration and, and you know, how that how how that's going. Uh, yeah, so um, we launched Metaportal basically around uh, to, to, to help us with the Metaverse Index, right? So Dark Forest and myself are sort of the methodologists for the Metaverse Index, uh, which is to say that we sort of came up with, with the idea, uh, we came up with the methodology, and we sort of manage um, that product on sort of the day-to-day -day basis. Um, and when we like when we were researching the metaverse before uh, launching the product, right? We struggled to find like this specific type of content, which was like a combination of um, project-specific content, right? Like digging into individual projects and tokens, and sort of this big-picture macro metaverse content, and. Um, that's sort of what we try to do with, with Metaportal. We try to cover some like big picture 
um, issues around maybe the metaverse as the future work or uh, play to earn um, and and the impact that we think that's going to have um, and we try to blend that with token specific um, coverage right so basically educating people on specific tokens in the metaverse index and kind of you know the the background the token economics the future of the product and and so on um and then the podcast was really we were running like a index co-op specific podcast um before and uh it just yeah we we decided to extend that to sort of the metaverse space and it's not like we don't have a, like a regular schedule it's more kind of on the ad hoc basis um as we kind of find time and and find people to uh to talk to yeah okay so speaking of the metaverse like what are your general thoughts on the metaverse like what does it mean for us what does it mean for the future of work like yeah just just what, what do you think about it um i'll i'll yeah i'll try to be concise on on this and then maybe we can dig into like more narrow i guess rabbit holes within the metaverse but um metaverse is like a very very meta concept right it's like very high level um and the way i think about it like there are two ways i think about it right like one is i see metaverse as like global economy 2.0 right it's basically like it's going to be bigger than the U.S. economy. It's going to be bigger than Chinese economy. Like it's going to be like this this massive economic powerhouse, right? Um, and then, like the the second way I think about it is like it's going to be the digital layer on top of the real world, right? And at at the like at the at the very futuristic aspect of it. Um, People will be able to go from kind of the, the the real life layer to the digital layer anytime they want, and it's going to be um, like seamless, right? You basically um, technology is going to be so advanced that you can go in and out, and you can spend most of your life in the digital realm with uh, VR and so on, and it's just going to be this like very seamless and close integration between the real world and the digital world. Um, so that, that's, that's kind of where I think we're going. I think like this concept of this large digital layer of, uh, both economy and kind of the social life is inevitable. And it's just, it just depends on like how long it's going to take us to get to sort of some, some sort of like the end state, um, and I think that depends on sort of t technology and um, innovation in 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 a lot of sort of different fields. So, is the metaverse only possible with kind of distributed ledger technology? Like, it, like it, could we have a metaverse where it's kind of just on Facebook servers and 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 we exist, you know, in in that kind of universe? Or is this you know decentralized, open kind of you know that kind of ethos? Is that needed for a metaverse to to actually come to fruition? Yeah, I, I, it's it's interesting because a lot of people, you know, talk about metaverse, but they don't talk about blockchain, and you know, with uh, 
Facebook, you know, trying to position themselves as a metaverse company now. Um, I think like, I I forgot who it was. Maybe it was Microsoft who was talking about like the corporate metaverse, which is just makes me sick a little bit. Um, in my mind, it has to it has to be built on distributed ledger technology. It has to be built on blockchain. Um, people need to have full sovereignty. Um, need to have control of their identity. Um, they need to have full control of their assets. Um, it, it has to be decentralized. Um, I certainly do not see um, centralized metaverse as as metaverse at all. And granted, I think we can build this vision of seamlessly interconnected digital and, and real world uh, just using centralized uh, technologies. But that's in my mind like pretty dystopian um and i hope we we sort of don't don't go there i totally agree with 100 uh, percent everything you everything you just said all right all right so so what sector within the crypto or nft space are, are you most excited about and why so i don't i guess to help like yeah uh, disclosure i guess is really going to be helpful uh, for the rest of this podcast, um, I don't look at like individual NFTs. Uh, in fact, I maybe own like two pieces of art, um, and that's it. Like, I just don't have time to look at individual NFT projects. I think like a lot of my time is spent on still on Index Corp and DeFi uh, side of things, and then the rest of my time is spent on Metaverse tokens, right? And like. Uh, managing the the MVI, the Metaverse Index, um, which, as currently set up, doesn't invest in individual NFTs, and so that's like the side of the market that I don't look at um, at all, other than the stuff that I see sort of on on Twitter and um, elsewhere in the media. Um, so, in terms of like what is most exciting for me in like that Metaverse space, um, I think it's really like. Axie Infinity and the emergence of uh, uh, play to earn and the economic consequences and future of work consequences um, of that, especially in sort of emerging emerging markets. Um, I think that's like a bit of a paradigm shift, um, and I'm excited to like see Axie really nail it. And I'm also excited to see like the the next wave of innovation in the in the play to earn space. All right. So yeah, speaking of play to earn, like what what are your thoughts about play to earn? And also, a question I get a lot is how sustainable is play to earn? And so I would love to ask you, you know, what are your general thoughts? And also, how sustainable is play to earn models that we see today? Yeah. So I'm 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 fascinated by by play to earn. Um, I think. If you really think about it, right? Like play to earn is um, you play a game, you earn an income, um, and in the process you sort of make the game better, right? Like you bootstrap the game, um, and and you can. I, I would almost put play to earn as like a subset of the ownership economy narrative, right? Because it's a very similar story where with ownership economy, right? The thesis is that um, users are the ones that really 
make products and networks uh, and services successful, right? And so um, we should be rewarding those users with ownership, right, of those networks. And and sort of Play to Earn does something similar, but specifically focusing on on gaming. Um, I generally think that it makes a lot of sense to like reward people who make your product successful, right? That's what sort of crypto is all about. The crypto uh, incentives um, are all about sort of that distributed ownership um, and empowering um, the users because at the end of the day, users, like they're not only people who make your product successful, but they are probably the most knowledgeable in terms of like ability to drive your product forward. Um, and they should probably have ownership of that of that product versus you know some um, some shareholders somewhere um, who have no kind of significant knowledge um, on the sustainability of play to earn. Like I think it's as a movement itself, I think it's sustainable, uh, but the sustainability of like individual projects and their play to earn models is really depend like it just really depends on the token economic design um of the project right um i think i think you need to get a lot of things right um for play to earn to sort of really work right and and we've seen that with axie um how the ecosystem has so many different levers that can be pulled to sort of impact like the economics of the play to earn and and sky mavis and the team there are constantly tweaking those parameters and trying to make sure that the economy sort of functions right um but yeah but broadly on on sustainability like the whole like exchange of in-game items, right? Exchange of in-game goods has been a thing. It has been a business for 20 years now, if, if, if not longer. And with crypto, we basically just create, like taking that gray, gray market economy, putting it in the open and sort of uh, charging a marketplace fee, right? It sort of turns into the marketplace model. Um, and I think that's, uh, you know, that's been proven and I think that's, uh, it's really sustainable. All right. What is your grand five, 10 year vision for everything that you're working on? Like, where do you want to be in five, 10 years from now? I really don't think in, in like such long, uh, timeframes, um, especially like as it relates to the things that I'm working on. Uh, I think like crypto space in general moves so fast and each individual projects each individual project moves really fast as well so it's really kind of um hard to 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 like look that that far out i think with like index um we generally just want to go towards being like a really large crypto native asset manager right um and you know eventually competing with the likes of BlackRock and, and Vanguard and, and so on. Um, because realistically, every financial asset is going to be on-chain, right? Which means that you can create indices and you can create different types of um, products for any financial asset. 
on-chain. And, and I think that's that's sort of the future. Um, I don't know if, you know, if, if we're going to get there in three years, five years, 10 years, um, but we're going to get there eventually, right? Like, for example, you can start uh, tokenizing real estate, right? And then you can start like fractionalizing that and putting it into indices and you can have like uh, an index of like fractionalized prime real estate across global capitals, right? Like, um, and that can be traded on chain. So I think that's sort of the, 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 the long-term vision for indexes that really we're going to have like this uh, enormous lineup of uh, index products and as more and more assets shift on chain, that lineup is only going to expand to the point where we are um, one of the largest kind of global asset managers. Um, I think with like, the metaverse index specifically, um, I really just take it day by day. Uh, I think the space is just, it's both really early and has enormous potential, right? I think that metaverse is bigger than DeFi, um, but how are we gonna get there? Like, is is anyone's guess? And also, I think with with the metaverse index, like the methodology and index itself will have to evolve continuously um, as as we sort of as the space develops, right? Because with DeFi, you look at some of the uh, major blue chip tokens in, De in DeFi. Uh, whether it's Maker or um, or Uni or um, Ave, uh, a lot of them have been around for for a long time, right? So there's there's more safety there. Um, there's more continuity. Um, it's not the case in 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 the metaverse space. Um, so yeah, it's in the meta like for, for the MVI. It's really just day to day and trying to iterate the methodology, iterate the product to make sure it sort of best represents this movement into the metaverse um, for investors. Wow, you, you really put it in, into perspective of just how early we are and how much growth there is going to be going forward. So that is that is, uh, that is wild. All right, well, AG, this has been just awesome, but we got to jump into closing questions now. All right, All right. let's do it. What is your single favorite video game? Um, I played a lot uh, as a kid, and then I think the last time I played a video game, well, I played Fortnite a little bit with friends, but the last video game I, like, spent a lot of time with was World of Warcraft, um, so really enjoyed that, but I would say, I'd have to say that the most favorite one was, uh, Diablo in, like, early 2000s, uh, really loved that. Love it. All right, what is your single favorite NFT that you own? Uh, yeah, like I said before, I own literally two NFTs and then some like account that I don't look at ever. Um, so I would have to say just like individual axes that I have that I battle with. Love it. All right. What is your most controversial thought relating to crypto or NFTs? Um, again, I, I, I don't really spend too much time like thinking deeply about NFTs. Um, I think, I don't know if this is controversial or not, but like from the metaverse index perspective, right? Like from perspective of an investor in, into some of these tokens, um, I would say that 
token economics in the space are generally shit. Um, there is maybe a handful of projects that have given any meaningful thought to the token economics for their token. Um, and that is really frustrating when you're trying to manage uh, a metaverse index. I love that. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, how do you think that we can improve upon that? Like, do people just need to um, outsource their, their token econ economics or do they need to hire, you know, token economic experts or how do they improve that? I think it's just the evolution of, um, of each project, right? Like, I think a lot of teams um, are still working on their product, right? Um, even like, you can even look at Sandbox, for example, right? Like, um, still don't have a live game and it's been it's been a couple of years um, and a lot of other a lot of other projects they're really spending a lot of time a lot of effort uh, developing and improving the product and and like token comes next right it, it's it's secondary at, at this time in terms of their priorities and so I think it's really just like them getting to the point where they're happy with the product and, and then focusing on on the token. Um, that's maybe not the best way to go about it, right? Like maybe if if you don't if you don't spend time on token economics, if you don't understand how the token fits into your ecosystem, maybe don't launch the token. Um, but you know um, it, it is what it is. I think most teams will get there. Um, and I certainly have a lot of respect for teams that actually do things through token economic design, um, whether it's on their own or outsourcing it to uh, to someone else. Um, I think the space needs sort of more more of that. Awesome. All right. If you could snap your fingers and instantly change or improve one thing in the crypto space, what would it be? Um, I think again, like with my. MVI methodologist hat on. Um, I'd love to improve liquidity um, for different metaverse tokens and also NFTs in general. I, I'm like, I think unlocking liquidity for NFTs is going to be really huge. Like if, if we're saying that metaverse, uh, but also that NFTs culture, right, like is a bigger market than DeFi, um, then you can make sort of the case that NFT exchanges like NFT DEXs are going to be sort of potentially bigger than Uniswap. Um, so yeah, for me, like liquidity is something that I look at on an almost daily basis and it uh, infuriates me how little DEX liquidity there is for stuff. All right, last question. Where do you see the crypto ecosystem in three years? I think it, it's a bit it's a bit challenging. I think in terms of like innovation with technology is exponential, and and we do not uh, our brains are not wired to to think in in exponential terms, right? And also the, when we try to project progress forward, right, we a do it linearly, and b we base it on experience of past growth and not necessarily future growth. So I'm sure like we're going to be somewhere that I can't really imagine at the moment. Um, but I do think that it's just going to be kind of more of the same in terms of uh, 
we're going to keep building, right? We're going to keep innovating um, in the system. I, I think it's it's really hard for me to see another bear, like a bear market in innovation in crypto. Like I, I think that's impossible. Uh, I think the amount of capital that's been raised uh, by both VCs and individual projects is just enormous and that capital is going to go into projects which means that we're going to have more innovation so i think yeah like the one thing that i know for certain is that we're going to continue to see an enormous amount of innovation in crypto nfts virtual worlds and and so on um where it's going to get us in in three years i have no idea awesome awesome well ag this has been just an absolutely crazy conversation i i really loved hearing about your your kind of traditional financial background, how you got kind of sucked into the, you know, sucked into the crypto vortex, and then also hearing about, you know, the future of work with DAOs and what you're, do, what you guys are doing at Index Co-op is just really, really exciting, and and I'm I'm confident that you guys will uh will take over BlackRock one day. But if people want to find out more about yourself, find about you know more about Index Co-op, where should they go? What should they do? Um, yeah, so um, you can, for me, you can find me on. Twitter and other socials under Verto0912. Um, that's basically my sort of um, my login or my name on Discord, Twitter, Reddit, like all the all the forums. Um, and then, um, yeah, IndexCoop, um, you can just uh, look for us on Twitter. You can go to indexcoop.com. Um, and if you want to check out sort of MetaPortal and, and what we do with uh, with that uh, content, it's just uh, a, a Substack, and I actually have I think a link to it in my Twitter bio, so you can can grab it there. Awesome, Ag, thanks so much for for coming on, and looking forward to our next chat. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate you having me. Hey everyone, stay tuned for more episodes of the Zima Red podcast, and subscribe to the Zima Red newsletter for more info on all things NFTs. Thanks so much for listening.